The Islanders are up three games to one. Brooklyn is on a roll. The Mets can't seem to win a baseball game. They look like a team that should fold. But Brody decided to make some moves. He looks like he's on a roll. Out of the damn door if it's my choice. Want to find out more? Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. This trade deadline for me personally was a GD poop show. But we have a whole league to get through before I get to my team. Beast, take it away. It's a two-hitter, ladies and gents. Well, wild trade deadline is right. And let's begin at with our top 10 that Crystal Large sent us. The Cubs at number 10. Very interesting spot for them to be. They made a couple of additions. Great. Josh Oshitz to, boop, Josh Oshitz to boop up, boost up the pen. You added Chafin. You added another bat or two. The Cubs, I think, will be in good shape. The bullpen was a big plus for them to fix that. We'll see if they can climb up that central. I mean, honestly, the central is weak. So Cubs are on top. You don't see any other team from the central, NL central, in this. Uh, Darvish is what's keeping the, club, the Cubs alive right now. Let's be yeah. very fair with that. Number yeah. nine, very surprised the Atlanta Braves didn't make any moves. You know, being that they lost uh, Soroka for the year, they needed Acuna, a Acuna. Acuna is the move. Well, getting Ronald Acuna Jr. is the move. Getting Acuna back was big, and Max yeah. Fried has done a great job carrying the rotation with Soroka out. Which, still, I know they added Tommy Malone to sort of help their rotation a little bit, but Tommy Malone is not Soroka. Let's here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Braves did the smart thing. They didn't mortgage their future for a 2020 season that half of the fans are going to question if it's legitimate or not by the time it's over. So I don't. I understand why the Braves did what they did. They're on top of the NL East. The rest of the NL East is in shambles. So, I mean, why do the Braves need to do much? They don't have to. The Braves need Raj to carry them the rest of the way. That's my new abbreviation for Ronald Acuna Jr. There you go. Number eight, the Twins. All right. Twins are still flying high. I know they've tailed off. They had a couple of rough losses to the Royals last night, and the White Sox the other night came all the way back and defeated them, being down 4 nothing. The Twins still have a great lineup, deep rotation. Kenta Maeda, great addition. I think the Twins are going to be still a threat. But that AL Central now has gotten really interesting. Yeah, that AL Central is – that is a great division now. That is a great division now. Twins, Indians, White Sox – I mean, and now you're just waiting for the Tigers to get good. Well, speaking of seven, well, speaking of seven are the White Sox. And, yeah, the talent is there. This team puts the bat on the ball. Luis Robert has proven to be the great prospect. We have expected 10 home runs, leading all rookies. Tim Anderson batting over 340. Jose Abreu, Johan Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, Keichel and Giolito leading this rotation. Yeah, putting it's the White Sox above very, this is exactly appropriate right it's now. It's a very well put together White Sox team, and they're going, I think, to be a big, big threat. And now to the New York side of things, okay? The, the New York six. Yankees. I can't believe the Yankees have fallen this far down to six because they didn't make any moves. Yeah, they That's haven't. Why made Chris moves. put in there? They didn't make. They any haven't moves. really made many moves in the trade deadline of late. But, but what were they going to make? What What was yeah. really realistically out there for them? There was nothing out there for them. I don't know what kind of move they would have made or wanted to make or whatever. All I know is this team can't seem to beat the Rays for anything. And, that's it's got, and the disease has gotten worse. That's it's gotten worse. 
How does it get worse? Garrett Cole laid another egg last night, which is not typical of Garrett Cole. He's been giving up the long ball, uh, 10 home runs this year. That's not Oh, but I thought he was better than DeGrom, John. Here's my worry, particularly if he has to play the Rays. I think the Rays really learned a lot about him last year in the playoffs. That game against Glasnow, I was watching the Rays, and they they were approaching different bats with Cole last year. And I think now the Rays have really begun to figure out how to hit Cole. So That's a problem. You might want to stay away from using Cole against the Rays from here on. You know, if that's the case, if that's the case, then Brian Cashman should be fired because you wasted 300 some odd million dollars then. Had to get an ace. What were you supposed to do? Just let him just not take him? No, but if, I don't know, but I'm not a baseball scout. It's not my job to figure out what team has figured out what pitcher. But but I'd imagine if you put 300 and some odd million dollars over a certain amount of time for this pitcher to go out there and be a team that can beat somebody like the freaking Rays. Well, the Rays have been doing this to a lot of teams. It's not just the Yanks. They're beating up everybody right now. Uh, I get dangerous. that they're good. I get that they're good. I get that they're real good, and I'm proud of them. But this is a team that the Yankees should be shelling to death. Well, the Yankees, I'm sorry. The talent on the Yankees roster is better than well, the Rays roster. The final series. They have two games more to go tonight. Tanaka will pitch tonight against them, and we'll see if he can pick up from that terrible start last week. Well, you better hope to God that in the playoffs the Yankees have figured out how to beat the Rays and that the injuries stop. Otherwise, yep. Number five on our top ten is the Cleveland Indians. And look, they did uh, They did lose Mike Clevenger. They dealt him in the trade deadline, although he kind of brought that upon himself with the COVID-19 and going a little bit away from the Indians' rules. And he was going to, you know, be – like I believe arbitration eligible or free agent or something like that. But I like, but still the Indians. It was going to cost a lot more money next year. The Indians are still right there in that AL Central. They have a very deep pitching staff, regardless how you slice it. Shane Bieber leads that rotation. Let's be real here. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of talent in the lineup, but still Francisco Lindor continues to hit. Fran Mil Reyes. You have Jose Ramirez. All of these guys are capable of winning a game. Their bullpen is deep. I will not. Laugh the Indians off. They have a very All right. good stat. We gotta get to we gotta get to the top four because the Padres yeah, are the yeah. team that made the it's biggest move. Oh yeah. Uh, well on paper, on paper. Lester, Rosenthal, getting Rosenthal for the bullpen, getting Moreland in their lineup. The Padres have all the pieces now, and with a healthy Will Myers with Manny Machado, and not to mention Hosmer is is starting to hit again. Look how stacked this Padres team is. Look at how stacked this lineup is. If you have now at least junior- Keeps this up and keeps developing, and Machado keeps this up. It's scary. With th- and with three f- solid frontline starters, you have Paddock. You added Clevenger. You have Lamette. You have a decent group of relievers. And you, you know, I actually put San Diego end. second on this list. You would put them at second instead of four. I would put them second at this point. Interesting. Oakland A's are the third. Pl- are the third place? Well, they Oakland get the bronze sense. medal. Oakland makes sense. And they did add uh, to the rotation. They added Mike Miner to boost up their rotation. And that's, I think, a very good move. Oakland needed a little help in the rotation. You have fires there. Now you put Miner there. You have a couple pieces there. Oakland's lineup, Chapman, Olsen, Simeon. It's still a very, very deep club. And they can close games out at the end. The Oakland A's are about as dangerous a team in the West as anyone. And then the Rays, well, I, yeah, I'd say the third. But, you know, the I, I appreciate their ranking at second. The Rays just find ways to win. Yeah, they do. That's how they do it. 
if you do not score enough runs, they will beat you. They're that team that's got like they're that Sardust team right now. The race. They're the team. They're the team that looks like everything is going their way. Like the sun is shining on their side of the street every morning when they wake up out of bed. They, uh, I don't know, something better is in their coffee every morning. I don't know what they put in their oat bran, but somehow this team with literally no quote unquote on paper talent, even though they have a bunch, but you know, not big name talent, star level talent can go out there and every year consistently put on performances like this every single season. The, the, did with the model is consistency. The trades they did with the Pirates, I think, really allowed this team to take off. Getting Austin Meadows, getting Glasnow to boost up their – to really add a presence to their rotation and have Meadows at, like in the leadoff role for, for one. And so you know what? Dodgers – The Dodgers, number one. No doubt about it. What did I say? Ten they losses. Didn't make any additions. They give they me a week, the end of the week, and by the time we had this new list, with them at ten losses, and I would not make fun of Chris at all for nope. his Dodgers fandom, and I will accept the LA Dodgers as the number one team in baseball right now. They ended up dealing Ross Stripling to the Jays. I don't think it's going to really do that much. They have enough rotation depth. They have enough bullpen depth. And the lineup in particular is just insane. Turner, and the Dodgers are also planning for the future because they're a dynasty-looking type team. Kind of like in the way the Rays are looking like a team that could be consistently in the World Series. Well, Because for the past though, however many years, they've always been in the dance. They've been close. The last couple of years, they got very close. And it's not the same people the over and over again. They just bring up kids – from their farm system that just play baseball very well. They have a, they are well coached. They are well trained. The injuries on the Rays that you see aren't super devastating all the time. They seem to know what they're doing with their training. With they their have enough pitching to make up for the injuries. That's the thing. They have enough pitching to cover up for it. And you know the bullpen game has really really put the Rays on the map to being a contending game. The bullpen yeah. game really helps this team more than any other in the in the game. And they have guys that just know their role. That's what makes the Rays dangerous. They have everybody on a team that knows their role. So, now that we've mentioned our top ten, you know, uh, another team made some good moves, even Boy. though I know they're not going to be talked about. Uh, you know, Mets made a few additions, John. I mean, they got three new pieces to, to the bullpen, to the lineup a little bit. And, uh, you know, you don't look very uh, happy. I know uh, – I know the Mets. Uh, I know the Mets uh, kind of choked away two games the other day. Uh, aren't you mad, John? A little bit. You sound a little quiet I'm there. To, I'm trying to be calm, John. I know you have something you want to say. No. I know I'm you're not, not happy. To, I'm not. I know I'm you're not, not happy. I'm not. Come on, where's trying, the inner I fire? Don't want to do Where this. Where is John? that inner fire? Bring it out. Bring it out. Oh, I know you want to light into this team. It's time for the downtown beating of the week. Uh-oh. I haven't done this since we've done this podcast. But I feel it's time. I feel it's time because... Brody Van Wagenen has literally blown my mind with what he did at the trade deadline. John, I can't even say the name that he brought back. 
Say it, because I can't. I'll start screaming. Not, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Todd Frazier's back. God, he brought, no, he didn't bring back Todd. No, no. Why did he bring back? What was the purpose of that? Put the veteran at third base. Maybe that helped that young kid, Jimenez. Uh, what? Kind of booted two errors in the game. The Yankees came back to win eight to seven. And I'm sure he traded away a farm chip that he never needed to trade and away also, to get him. And also, the Mets uh, lost JD Davis to an injury. Uh, I understand they lost JD. It's 2020. This is not the year to try to go for a championship. Brody Van Wagenen, though. You see, he's shrewd. He thinks he's intelligent. He wants to show Cohen that he's going to try to make the team better no matter what. He doesn't care about farm system. He'll be willing to spend Cohen's money. They hear that the team is exclusively in negotiations with Cohen and Brody's eyes lighten up because he thinks he's going to get an unlimited checkbook to play with. Well, let me just say this to everybody. He's not going to get an unlimited checkbook. He's not even going to have $3 in a checkbook from the Mets because after this season, Brody should be fired. Fired? Gone. Lit a blaze. Finished. Kaput. Thrown out the door. Left to rot in the street on freaking Flushing Avenue looking for a bus somewhere in downtown Queens. That's what he should be doing. He shouldn't have made any trades at all. Any trades at all. You're saying that's going to just tailed off and just play crap baseball for the rest of the year? What are you telling me about crap baseball for the rest of the year? I don't care about crap baseball for the rest of a 60-game season that no one's really going to think is legitimate in the first place. That was the biggest argument behind this 60-game season. You had now, high expectations for this team. You had high expectations going into the year for this club. Yeah, I did. And every move that he made that was supposed to make the club better was trash. We didn't need to re-sign Zach Wheeler, not one bit. Nah, no, our starting rotation was fine. We got Waka and Porcello. Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit, I'll take the bullet on that. I thought that wasn't a bad idea, but I honestly thought the best idea was to re-sign Wheeler and keep the staff together. Yeah, because look at the season forward. Wheeler's having. He's not having a terrible season. What, what's happening with Noah Syndergaard? He's out. Strowman out and now no longer a Met. We literally traded for a pitcher that we can't use at all. We got him adjusted to New York and then talking on Twitter about how he was gonna be the number two starter of this team. And then he opts out. At least he gave a press conference on his way out of the Met, uh, his way out of the door with the Mets. And the Edwin Diaz saga continues to the point where now Brody Van Wagenen, after making that trade and giving up our two best prospects to get him, actually was reported looking to trade Edwin Diaz and couldn't find one person to do it. And then the last straw, which makes me wonder why he even has a job right now, he goes in front of a hot mic, talks something about protest BS, attributes the comment to Rob Manfred, and then says, oh no, I met Jeff Wilpon. You're the recipient of the beating of the week. Well, Brody. On, that, on that note, we'll take a break. When we come back, we discuss the Islanders and the NHL. Back after this.
And we're back on Downtown Sports. I'm Jonathan Pariente, the Beast of the East, alongside the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. Uh, John, before we begin this next half, where can our people hear us? They can hear us on 10 different platforms. It's Breaker, Spotify, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Bullhorn. You can hear us every Tuesday and Wednesday live with rants, shows, episodes, everything you need. We got it. And by the way, I have a little more administrative work to do. We're looking into getting a channel on Twitch TV. So that's why we say live all the time, because there will be a live downtown sports coming up very soon. We'll have an announcement released on the Anchor podcast with me and John telling you all the details within a few days once we figure them out ourselves. But we're getting into Twitch TV. They're allowing sports talk live. So that's where we're heading to hear us live. And looking forward to it as we get closer to that day. But let's dive in now to our second half, the NHL, hockey. The New York Islanders looking to close out their series with the Flyers tonight, 7 o'clock. The Islanders will meet, possibly, should they win tonight, the Lightning. The Lightning dispatched the Bruins in double overtime last night. So this is going to be a very interesting matchup. Uh, Everyone, including me, thought the Bruins – we're going to get through to that round. The Lightning proved a lot of people wrong. So now you wonder, how will the Islanders, if they have to play the Lightning next round, how will they match up with a Lightning team that can skate up and down the ice? They have a ton of speed, and they have a lot of skill to their, to their offense. Will the Islanders and their defensive approach and their team play, will it be enough? Will it be enough if they get on to the next round to stop the Lightning? Well, we still got to deal with a Flyers team tonight. A Flyers team that ran through this bubble until they came up against the Islanders. A Flyers team that, you know, even though they're losing these games, it's not as if they're losing them all terribly. I mean, game one was a wash. Game two was a fight. I mean, but game two is where I thought the Islanders clinched this series, even though they lost. I'll tell you why. Because the Flyers literally slugged them right back in the mouth. And then the Islanders still came back. They still came back in game two and made game two competitive. The Flyers didn't get that knockout shot back that they took in game one. That's why when you saw the Flyer victory in game two, it started to look like. They got say we're satisfied with that one win. Not even that. Not even that. It started to look like in that third period that they were losing their grip. They might've won the game, but they lost their grip on the series in that game too, because I think that game two performance scared the flyers even more than what the Islanders game one performance was because they did that coming from behind. The The first time, one of the first times Verlamov has had to play from behind in these playoffs. The Islanders had to be also, are, are also, from what I've noticed, a very opportunistic team. They seem to, like, score that one or two goals in the period, and that's really, when they do that, that's enough to win the game. They have enough defense and enough team play to block the goaltender and just not allow shots to get through. It's always two jerseys in front of Alamov. Always two jerseys in front of him. That's the way it's been this whole series. That's the way it's been these entire bubble playoffs. Trotz has given these guys the kill instinct. He's taught them 
when to just eliminate the opponent. Don't sit there and, you know, expect to win. Go and get the goal. Go and get that stop. Go and make that save. Go and get that check. Make sure that they're not coming 3-1 unabated to the goal. And that's what Trotz is doing. He has these guys playing with instincts that I haven't seen on a team in a long time. We're, we're talking like uh, early 2000s Devils-type defensive instincts for the Islanders right now. Yeah, it really brings me back to those, to those old days of the Islanders in the 80s. really brings me back to that type of team that under Al Arbor that just knew how to win. That's, that's the Islanders team we're seeing right now. Yeah, they're playing Islanders hockey for the first time in about 40 years. Like, truthfully, yeah. they're playing real Islanders hockey. Now I'm very curious, will they be able to keep this going? You, you did mention at one point, John, the Islanders, you think are the team that can win the whole cup with the way they're playing right now. They got that stardust feeling to them. They got that magic feeling to them. I mean, look at them. They, they, they came in as a sixth seed. A lot of people thought they were playing so terribly by the time the season shut down that Florida might have been able to pick them off in that first round robin round. A lot of people were talking like the Islanders weren't going to do anything. The team that everybody was giving so much love to, and me included, because I'm a Ranger fan, was the Rangers. Yeah. Although, as a Ranger fan, I am so happy that uh, Carolina dispatched with them so quickly because now I get the number one pick, and I got that Luke Robitaille clone coming to play with Cato Caco. So, um, yeah. you know, as a Ranger fan, I'm extremely happy. We were one or two players away, and we got one of them. So I'm very curious when Lafreniere joins the Rangers up once they draft and how that will change this club. I'm, I'm going to look forward to that. We'll see what happens uh, in Ranger land, but you know, back, to but the, yeah, back to the Islanders, like, back, because you know, they deserve, because they deserve the full stage right now. Brooklyn deserves the full stage right now because literally what they're doing is unexpected and they're doing it in a way that a lot of people didn't expect them to play. Cause especially towards the end of the year, they were looking very offensive. The Islanders trots had them playing a lot of offense now playoffs it's back to grind it out hockey and that's sometimes that's really how you have to play it's not always about the flashiest scoring team it's not always about or the biggest check or the oh no you have to be able in the playoffs to play team hockey whatever you did in the regular season out the window out and that's when you mentioned this about Elaine Vigneault and this is why I think the Flyers are in are in the jam that they are he constantly changes things up when he's never done it before throughout the whole year. And you're seeing it happen now with the flyers over and over again. Oh, I'm going to put this guy on this line. Cause I think this line works. I'm going to put this guy on the second line. Cause this line will work. And, and here's the, the problem. With avoiding it in return. Yeah. And here's the problem that Vigneault is having. He doesn't make the necessary adjustments in game one. He doesn't coach like he made those adjustments. Then in game two, he makes line adjustments, but then when the Islanders start to come back, he sticks with that line. Game three, he sticks with those lines. Game four, he's switching up again, and he can't seem to keep – he can't seem – he doesn't have the conviction of heart to make decisions against shots like that. This is why he always gets outcoached. This is yeah. why it happens to him every year and why he never wins. And here, here's the disease of Elaine Vigneault, great regular season coach. But when it comes down to playoff time, he doesn't know how to get to that next level. He just doesn't know how to do it. 
We've seen well, it with the Rangers. Show you. Not every coach it. is built for, for certain things. We've seen it with Vancouver. We've it's seen it with the Rangers. And now we're seeing it with Flyers. I remember well, how happy be, Ranger I'm, fans were when we got a Lindenio. But well, it seems that at 7 p.m. tonight, the Islanders are going to be putting the final nail in the coffin of this series. However, Philadelphia wins. You know, that's not good. Because you got a Tampa team that kind of blew through Boston and is now just sitting back and chilling. They're just maxing and relaxing in Toronto right now. And they're just waiting to see which of these two teams come out. And they're hoping. They're hoping against hope that the Flyers could just keep them on the ice for another 60 minutes longer than just this game. Well, the Avalanche did that to stay alive in their series with Dallas. So they're down three games to two. The Golden Knights have a chance to put the Canucks away tonight in addition. So we're definitely going to have two very interesting games here. Uh, One – if the Flyers are really serious now about not wanting to go down, they're going to have to play their best hockey of the year if they're going to even put a dent on the Islanders. I think if Elaine Mignot loses game five, he's out. He might lose his job. He's only been on the he's only been on the Flyers for about a year or so, and you're just going to get rid of him after one or two years. You don't give him maybe that benefit of the third year. Kind of see what happens. Only because, and the only reason I say no is because you've seen this before. Well, I'm I sure there's it. been meetings about this. I'm sure when they hired him, they said, listen, we're not going to be accepting this kind of stuff because, you know, the Philly fans are not peaceful fans. They're not fans that are going to accept mediocrity as, as a standard. The Flyers have always been a team that have been in or around the playoff picture in or around the cup talks, always the potential with the Flyers. Then every few years they get real good and they make runs for cups, but I have a note here. I just pulled up here. I was just looking through. Uh, so the Islanders, the last time the Islanders were this close to getting to the final four was uh, we go all the way back to 1993. That was the last time the Islanders went this deep in the playoffs and have gotten to a final four. And how ironically enough, it was, uh, well, it wasn't against the Flyers, uh, excuse me. They knocked off the Capitals to do that in 1993 when they, when they got to this stage. But, yeah, let's go back a little bit in time here. Two of the Islanders' main stars right now, Anders Lee and Jean-Gabriel Pajot, were two years old in six months. That's how old they were back when the Islanders last were in this stage. Barry Trotz was only 30 years old, and he was coaching in the AHL. Was that uh, the Skipjacks? That must have been. This is 1990. This is 93. 93. Remember yeah. when Kenny Albert, remember when we had Kenny Albert, he mentioned that story, how he knew Trotz. He was, he met him when he was 27 years old. That was three years, three years. So back. one of the best coaches in NHL history, truthfully, one of the best, if not, I think if he takes the Islanders to the cup this year, you're going to have to start calling him the goat. Well, and I like that Trotz is taking this approach usually here. He says here, Sunday night, let's look at the task at hand. The task at hand is we've got to win one more game. That's from the words of Trotz. And that last game's the toughest. Yep. Okay, good approach. I like that. One game at a time. How else can you take it? Historically, teams that trail 3-1 in a best of seven 
have only a win percentage of 9.3%. 29 wins only came out of a team trailing 3-1 in a series. The other 284 failed. So Islanders are in a good position. All of this is good. Just keep the foot on the gas. They have yeah. to get past the Flyers because they got a tough lightning team to deal with. Elaine Who plays v- a Flyers style of hockey except better. But Elaine, Elaine Vigneault is also no stranger to coming back from 3-1. He did do this with the Rangers. Let's not forget that. Uh, remember that Penguins series in the mm-hmm. second round, 2014, that got the Rangers to the cup? Yeah. 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 And Vigneault no, did that. Vigneault can make the adjustments. It's just, like I said, the Islanders have to keep the pressure on and Trotz has to keep out-chessing Vigneault. That's what you need to do. You have to keep out-chess playing Elaine Vigneault because Elaine Vigneault is a chess player. Trotz is a much better one, obviously, but Elaine Vigneault is a chess player style coach. Trotz is sort of the same. So if you're, it, it's like, uh, you know, a high school champion playing against Bobby Fisher in his prime. Yeah. So this is going to be a very, this is going to be a very interesting journey now for, for Barry Trotz. And let me bring up, uh, let's see if I could bring up when he, yeah, it was 93. That's what we brought up. So he was still, so he was still with the Skipjacks going back into the AHL days. And it really is uh, – it's really quite a journey. It's really been a journey for him. Like I said, sitting with Kenny Albert in his hotel room watching Islander playoff games. Yeah, so he became – all right, so 93, Trotz, the franchise, the Skipjacks, ended up moving to Portland, Maine, and were renamed the Portland Pirates. So, yeah, they were the Skipjacks in 92, and then they became the Pirate, the Portland Pirates. And, yeah, over there, Trotz went on to win two of the main title cups you win in the AHL. That's the Calder Cup. He won two Calder Cups, went to two Calder Cup finals and winning one in 1994 in their inaugural season of that team. So Trotz knows how to win big games. Now we're going to see if he can win another big one, put the Flyers away, and can the Islanders take that as a speed bump on their road to winning Lord Stanley's Cup. And can they give Brooklyn a real good send-off? Because, you know, they're not going to be sticking around in the Barclays Center for much longer. So can they give Brooklyn a real nice treat while they are Brooklyn's home team at this point? Certainly can going they to- give Brooklyn a Lord Stanley's Cup before they go back to the Nassau Coliseum? Well, I mean, they're going to be – aren't they going back to like Bel- – aren't they going to play at Belmont from here? They have, the, they have their arena coming in, Bel- in Belmont Racetrack. So a little bit outside of Nassau Coliseum, but it will be not far away. Yeah, but um, I thought they were going to be splitting games between Barclays yeah, Center and yeah, the new arena be. before that new place is built. So we're yeah. going to be seeing a lot more games played at Nassau Coliseum oh, yeah. than you would at oh, yeah. Barclays Center. But it will be unfortunate once they have to stop playing at Nassau. That's what's going to get a lot of Islander fans a little bit of – Upset well, Belmont's that. close enough, though. I mean, it's on the border. It's yeah, close enough. Yeah. Long Island Railroad will take you there in like a matter of minutes. Yeah, it's much, and it's much easier to get to than the Coliseum. The Coliseum, I went to high school out there. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, it's it in is. the literal middle of yes. nowhere. If you think crossing Flatbush Avenue on foot is a, is a trip, try crossing Headstead Turnpike to get to the Starbucks across the street from the Nassau Coliseum to get to the bus that you need to take to get back to New York City. I'm driving down Flatbush like I did last night with no lane markers on the street. I did that, too. It's fun. Yeah, and with that, that at night. and with that, we're gonna stop the fun for right now because time is pretty much up. Time is called. So tonight, 7 p.m. Remember, right after you listen to this show, 
Go tune into that game five with the Islanders and the Flyers. It's going to be something to watch. Beast, where can they hear us? We're available on 10 different platforms. We're on Breaker, Spotify, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Bullhorn. You can listen to us every Tuesday, Wednesday for live rants episodes every single week. We will have soon a special announcement that we will eventually soon be available via Twitch. Yes, that's right, Twitch. Not twitching your eyes. We're not twitching our fingers. No, we're on Twitch. We're going to be on twitch.tv. You will see the channel. We'll give you all that information next week you want to tune in because we're going to get the report card for the New York Mets from Mets play-by-play radio voice Wayne Randazzo. So you're going to want to tune in next week to hear all everything you want to hear about the New York Mets. But for right now, for my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, for Shane Sullivan, our engineer and editor, Chris Large, statistician, Anthony Mainville. It's the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone saying we out. Bye.